Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So grateful that you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yesterday we had three good martinis. Today we can't find one. So we've got two bads and a crazy, and uh, maybe they're all bad, Jim. But uh, let's start with our double-barreled first bad martini. Joe Biden, we gave you some props yesterday for your diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics. Today, you've reverted to form, unfortunate for you and the country. So Joe Biden's got a problem here, Jim, on a number of fronts. Uh, People are disgusted with his stewardship of the economy, and there's no more in-your-face example of that than the price at the pump price of the grocery store, perhaps, right there alongside with it. And so that's one of the main reasons his popularity remains in the tank. But Joe Biden, of course, has decided it's nothing he's done that's uh, led to these ridiculously high gas prices over the past several months. Uh, It's got to be that dastardly oil and gas industry. So now he wants the Federal Trade Commission chair to examine oil and gas companies for their role in rising gasoline prices. This is according to Politico, Biden citing potentially illegal conduct. Uh, Quote, usually prices at the pump correspond to movements in the price of unfinished gasoline. But in the last month, the price of unfinished gasoline is down more than 5%, while gas prices at the pump are up 3%. He says he doesn't accept that hardworking Americans are paying more for gas because of anti-competitive or otherwise potentially illegal conduct. He also blamed the top two oil and gas companies without naming them, but those, of course, are ExxonMobil and Chevron. Uh, The oil and gas industry, I think it was the American Petroleum Institute, saying, look, our prices, our system, everything that goes into the price you pay at the pump is closely regulated and very closely monitored on a day-to-day basis, if not even more scrutinized than that. So, Jim, this looks like a president flailing for excuses on this front, and he's got another problem as well. He, of course, told us that his Build Back Better massive reconciliation bill was not going to add anything to the debt, uh, but that isn't true either. Uh, The CBO has decided that the revenues that he even claims is going to come in, uh, those are going to fall at least hundreds of billions of dollars short of what was promised. And so here's Peter Ducey of Fox News with that estimate and the unbelievable response of Andrew Bates from the White House press office. But some Democrats first want to see the true cost calculated by the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. Let's see what the score is. Irrelevant, according to the White House, where officials are challenging the credibility of the budget office, reportedly set to undermine Biden claims his spending bill doesn't add a penny to the deficit. CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. Jim, the Democrats now say we can't trust the Congressional Budget Office when they go, uh, you know, take it as gospel anytime a Republican tax plan doesn't pay for itself, allegedly. So between gas prices and uh, the, the budgeting for this massive spending bill, Biden's just flailing here, and it's pretty pathetic to watch. Greg, if this sounds like this is news that's been in reruns or you feel like you've heard it before, right before we started taping, I decided to look and say, wait, I know I've seen a whole bunch of government investigations about collusion and price fixing in the oil industry. And I went back and I found 2003, California did an investigation because they believed that uh, gas companies were getting together and pricing it. No, they found no foul play in high gasoline prices was triggered, high prices were triggered by in-state production problems and crude oil costs that climbed in advance of the war with Iraq. 
Then a very, you know, a couple of years later, the uh, uh, Federal Trade Commission took a look at gas price hikes in 2005, found nothing. And then, you know what, Federal Trade Commission looked again in 2006 and said, oh, no, federal investigation concluded today that rapidly rising gasoline prices over the last year have not been the result of unlawful price manipulation by the industry. Uh, you can go back to the Obama administration. In fact, earlier this year, in August 2021, the Federal Trade Commission said it was going to step up enforcement on oil and gas companies that they say may be colluding to raise fuel costs. They have not yet found any evidence of this. Guess what? Demand goes up. Supply is either limited or gets constrained, say, by shutting down pipelines then the price is going to go up. This We go through this over and over again. It never comes, pans out. It is the always, it is always the, uh, the favorite scapegoat of a lawmaker when gas prices go up. They never want to reevaluate their trade policies. They never want to evaluate their uh, drilling and exploration and environmental policies. They never want to uh, look at how we haven't been able to build a re new refinery in this country for decades. None of this stuff ever is a factor. No, no, no. It's always got to be the evil oil companies are colluding to, to hold the prices up. Um, I, this looks desperate. I don't think it's really going to move anybody. But as long as Biden has this scapegoat, he's not going to take any time to reevaluate any of the decisions he's made, or for that matter, any of the decisions made by places like California that increased gas taxes again earlier this year. And let me give you a little clue here, President Biden. People aren't going to care. They know that you're president and that they're paying a lot to fill their tank and it's costing a lot more to fill the grocery cart and the cupboards when they get home. So even if this were true, which it is not, as Jim explained, this is a common scapegoat, uh, this is just uh, not going to pan out because when people have uh, more difficult uh, conditions in terms of making ends meet, they're going to blame whoever is in office. And uh, when you have no evidence to back up your, your allegation here, it's going to look even worse. All right, Jim, let's talk about uh, something else that uh, we can do to perhaps help our bottom line, and that is diversify our portfolio. And that could mean investing in gold and silver uh, with the dollar uh, heading down in terms of value heading up in terms of inflation. Uh, the price of silver increasing now 340% since the year 2000, and it continues trending higher and higher. And if that's something you want to do to stabilize your financial situation, universal coin and bullion is the way to go. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin which just happens to be the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free, and you'll be dealing with the experts. And when you buy gold or silver, you want to make sure you're doing that through a trusted uh, business. And Dr. Mike Fulgens is America's gold expert. He's the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year from the American Numismatic Association. The experts go to him for advice on counterfeiting and fraud and all this stuff. Uh, they can be trusted. They also have rare gold coins, but this special silver deal is only available using the code Martini. So call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800 800 UCB Gold. 
All right, Jim, let's move to our second bad martini. And I'm really starting to think we got three bads today, but let's move to the second one right now uh, as we record here uh, about one o'clock on Wednesday. It looks like the Rittenhouse jury in Kenosha is returning to the courtroom to ask the judge some questions. So we're not necessarily on the brink of getting a verdict, but who knows how soon that could happen, depending on the answers that they get here. But the judge in this case has uh, certainly come under criticism, especially those who want to see a guilty verdict in this case. But uh, according to the Daily Wire, Judge Bruce Schroeder, uh, who is overseeing the case, has received hundreds of vile messages from detractors, and they believe that he's playing favorites in favor of the defense in this case. Uh, they say a fax at the courthouse received in October reads, This is outrageous. What fresh hell is this? Rittenhouse is a murderous thug and trying to protect him says a lot about this judge. And we are watching. The message continues. Enjoy your term, judge. It's going to be your last. If I ever meet you in person, I fully intend to spit directly in your face, regardless the cost. You're disgusting. Another chilling message wishes, quote, the most heinous homicide known to man on Schroeder's children. One day, hope his kids become victims to the most heinous homicide known to man so he feels the pain and we will not call his kids victims. That's what they're upset about. He wouldn't let the prosecutors refer to the uh, people shot to death uh, as victims. And so uh, they also there's another one that says, wow, way to name a white skinhead hothead to be a judge. No wonder they burned down your city. So, Jim, you know, if the, the judge was leaning towards the prosecution in this case and he was getting these kinds of death threats, uh, this would be all over the media. Uh, this is the only place I've seen this uh, when people have the perception he might be um, a little bit biased towards the uh, the defense in this case. Unbelievable. Greg, when I wrote today's Morning Jolt, it's all about the Rittenhouse trial, and I write this as a non-legal correspondent. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, but I'm kind of bothered by the way these big, high-profile trials get covered and the way they tend to get discussed. Uh, when you're talking about putting somebody to jail for the rest of their lives, this is not just another routine political football. I don't think these things are meant to turn into uh, you know, more culture war fodder in which everybody lines up on their, you know, uh, their sides and cheers and boos and, you know, treats it like it's some sort of gladiatorial spectacle or something like that for their entertainment. And one of the things I was thinking about is that you, you know, when you, when you hear about a violent crime, it could be Rittenhouse, could be the OJ Simpson trial, could be Zimmerman uh, down in Florida and any big high profile, Scott Peterson, right? You know, you hear about that and you think about a brutal murder. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe that guy did that regardless or not they're actually convicted. And it's worth keeping in mind that innocent until proven guilty is a legal concept that's supposed to operate, you know, this, the centerpiece of our, our concept of criminal trials in the United States. That said, and you know, those of us who are outside the process of, of law are able to look, you know, draw our own conclusions. And if we think somebody's guilty, we can say, oh yeah, I think that guy's guilty as sin. And it's not all that unusual over here to somebody, ah, oh, you know, that that bastard who killed his wife, ah, uh, you know, he put me in a room with him for 10 minutes, I'd show him, you know. People always blow off steam like this. And by itself, it's not, you know, 99 times out of 100, this is not somebody who's actually going to hunt down the defendant and attempt to enforce their own form of vigilante justice or something like that. But the world of social media is a little bit different. Now, the sorts of things that you might say, to your buddies after a beer or around the water cooler or something like that. Now they stay up there. Uh, they're up there for everybody in the world to see, to read, and they kind of get, you know, uh, out there. We just don't know what the effect of putting lots of hateful messages on social media are. 
I, I, I was reading some other article in which somebody was citing the fact that they were getting death threats as an example that all the opposition to them is crazy and, and you know, morally reprehensible. Well, look, if you're sending somebody death threats, then yes, you yourself are wrong and crazy and morally reprehensible, but you are probably not representative of all of the opposition to this person. I think, you know, film critics get death threats. Referees get death threats. Uh, I've gotten a handful of them over the years. This is not, you know, death threats, unfortunately, are the new way in which people communicate. I disagree. It does not mean that these are good or okay. I'm not downplaying. It's horrible to get them. It's hard, it's frightening sometimes. But the good news is, is the overwhelming majority, 99.99%, are not sent by someone who intends to do something. In fact, one of my colleagues talked to someone in law enforcement who kind of focused on this sort of thing. He said, don't worry. Don't worry about when you get these kind of messages. The person who's going to hunt you down and kill you is never going to send a message beforehand. That didn't make me feel that much better, <laughs> Greg. <laughs> But not, yeah. So in other words, like these things. So by the, by itself, this does not mean that the judge's life is at risk or or anything like that. But I think it does reflect something very ugly and very unhealthy in our culture. And the fact that uh, I think your observation is is very accurate that if these you know threats have been going in the other direction, uh, then people would be saying, "Oh my goodness, this is terrible." And here's the thing: like the judge is not there to satisfy you know joe schmo sitting on his couch watching the tv the, the judge is there to run the trial the way he sees correctly in accordance to the law and the standards of the u.s legal system he's not there to you know make make the decisions you like he's not there to you know like there's an entire process to this most of the people not just are they not you know do they not have much of a legal background i don't think you really have to need to have a detailed legal background to have an opinion on what's going on in a court case but if you don't realize that innocent until proven guilty is kind of the core concept, like, you know, Rittenhouse is a murderous thug. Well, no, we're not sure of that. That's why we're having the trial. That's the whole point. You've already convicted him in your mind. And now you're just irritated that the rest of the process isn't speeding up to your pre preordained conclusion. So deeply frustrating. Uh, maybe by the time people hear this, there'll be a verdict. Uh, 500 National Guard troops in Wisconsin are on standby. Hopefully they won't be needed. Greg, I don't know about you, I kind of get the feeling that if Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers had deployed the National Guard earlier on in Kenosha, maybe none of this would have happened in the first place. Well, that's certainly what a lot of people are saying. Yeah, he's deploying them now, but he had the chance and many people told him to deploy them after the first night of violence. He didn't and things got exponentially worse after that. Uh, Jim, one of the things that just boggles my mind here is, you know, one of those threats was referring to him as a skinhead. There's been a lot of racial overtones in this trial despite the fact that everyone involved here is white. Uh, the two people that were killed are white. The person who was injured is white. Rittenhouse is white. Some are arguing that, well, he was there to protect businesses from Black Lives Matter protesters, so that's the, the racial component. But you have to go a, a couple layers deep to even try to make that accusation. Meanwhile, the media and the left seem almost thoroughly uninterested in the Ahmed Arbery trial down in Georgia, which obviously seems to have racial components here. Maybe it's just because there's no political controversy over that particular case. What's your read there? No, that's, that's a very interesting observation. But the, 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 you know, what feels like, if not round the clock, then let's just say saturation coverage we're getting of the Rittenhouse trial, and we're hearing much less of the trial down in Georgia. Um, I think part of it is that if you think of the O.J. Simpson trial as the apex of celebrity uh, criminal trials and, and that, you know, we're, we're a ratings bonanza for the media, then they're always looking for that kind of simple narrative. They're looking for that kind of hero, villain, victim, 
uh, triumvirate there that they could do. They don't like the, they don't like messy details getting in the way of it. Of course, a criminal trial is very much about those messy messy details. One of the points I tried to make in today's newsletter is that you may, unless you're watching gavel to gavel coverage, you at home are not seeing what the jurors are seeing. The jurors have to pay attention the entire time, or probably more accurately, they have to at least look like they're paying attention. <laughs> the entire time. So the juror is probably hearing and seeing a whole bunch of things that you aren't seeing, particularly if your opinion of the trial is coming from a couple of minutes in a newscast, uh, trying to summarize a day's worth of arguments and evidence in a handful of minutes. So in the end, as much as you might think, oh, how could that juror reach that? How could that jury reach that decision? Well, probably because they saw and heard a lot more than you did. I'm not saying they're always right, but just observing that the average person's perception of a trial and a juror's perception of the trial are not the same thing. Well, we'll see what happens. Let's pray for peace in Kenosha, regardless of the verdict. There are certainly strong opinions on both sides. If you look at conservative Twitter, they're convinced that uh, the prosecution was a complete debacle and uh, acquittal is, is the only reasonable uh, result here. And everybody else on the left, of course, is saying that uh, it's an obvious guilty verdict. So it's going to be very much an intense reaction, no matter what the outcome here. But whether it's uh, Joe Biden trying to uh, make you believe that other people are responsible for the economic conditions that his policies have contributed to, the fact that he can't afford his uh, reconciliation bill, or just the stress over, over trials like the one we just talked about, you may need some time to get your head in the right place. And that's where Headspace can come in, whether your thoughts are running in endless circles or the stresses of the last year or the last week are, are, are weighing you down. You'll want to be in a position to have a less stressful, healthier, and happier life. And that's where Headspace can come in. Our thoughts can be confusing enough, particularly in a week like this, but meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep, all in one app. They make it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving that meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. That's quite a bit. And as we've said many times here, our chief of operations has said that some of the Radio America hosts have uh, used Headspace, particularly over the past couple of years, found themselves sleeping better, less stressed, and more uh, focused on being able to do a great job. So uh, it's been an advantage for them. So find some Headspace at headspace.com slash martini and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash martini today again headspace.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our, I'm going to say the third bad martini here, and this is a story you did uh, that came out today. It relates to the disappearing acts in China, involuntary disappearing acts. Some have wondered where uh, tech titan Jack Ma has been for months at a time when uh, perhaps he gets out ahead of his skis from where the Communist Party wants him to be on things. Now we have the story of this uh, tennis player, uh, Peng Shui is how I'm going to pronounce that. Uh, she uh, was a professional player from 2004 to 2019, as you point out, got as high as 17th best in the world. Apparently, she had um, kind of a complicated relationship with the former vice premier Zhang Gaoli, who she says that sometimes they had a consensual relationship, but other times he coerced her into sex. And so she posted on her verified social media account uh, on November 3rd, quote, that afternoon, I don't know if it meant that day or another day she was talking about, I didn't give my consent and couldn't stop crying. You brought me to your house 
and forced me and you to have relations. And so uh, this guy, Zhang Gaoli, is a close ally of Chinese President Xi Jinping. And now Peng Shui has disappeared. Uh, fill in a little bit more of the story and what this tells us about uh, the reality in China for anyone who steps out of line. I was going to say, this, this is kind of a new level of horror. Look, we know China is an authoritarian country. We know the regime can be very brutal when it wants to be. Uh, Jack Ma accumulating an amount of fortune that basically starts to feel like a threat to the state. Uh, we know that if you're an outspoken critic of the regime, you are likely to, at minimum, face some sort of trumped up criminal charge. Uh, but it also could be operated a bit more like North Korea, where you just simply disappear one day. People don't like thinking about this sort of thing because it's a it's a grim, it's horrible, you feel powerless. But something people really don't like to think about is that, look, all of these authoritarian regimes are run by men and men get interested in women. And we just hate to think about what happens to the women who get targeted by the powerful men who run these regimes and who are effectively above the law. Well, this case of Peng Shui may be one of these nightmare scenarios. And I think one of the things that's really galling and kind of demonstrates the shamelessness of the Chinese regime is that, look, this is, I don't want to say Venus and Serena Williams, but like, you know, Peng Shui was a, you know, about as accomplished a tennis player as you've seen come out of China in a long, long time. And she was, you know, in, in, in world professional tennis, ranked in the top 20 from like 2004 to 2019, right? So this is a famous person. This is, this is not just some random obscure person who the regime can make disappear and the only the immediate family is going to notice this. You may also remember that I think it was an actress who was in uh, one of the X-Men films. Uh, I guess it was you know, one of the biggest stars in, in China who had started branching out into Hollywood. And then I guess it was an issue of tax evasion or something like that. They just, she just disappeared. They could not find her for long stretches uh, for long stretches at a time. Eventually, I think she reemerged. But that's this is not, you know, there's no criminal charges. There's no fair trial. There's no access to the media. There's no access to loved ones. You just disappear. We don't know what happened to Peng Shui. Uh, the credit to where it's due to the uh, Women's Tennis Association, Steve Simon, the CEO and chairman, has been trying to reach out to uh, her since the, the the accusation came out. The accusation, by the way, was only up online for like a half hour, and then it went went down. Uh, people took screenshots, and that's how we know what happened. But they said they've reached out to her phone, digital, tweeting, WeChat, WhatsApp, text, you name it. They have not been able to reach her. Now, the Chinese Tennis Association, who, of course, reports to the government, says that Peng is safe and not under any physical threat. And, uh, you know, uh, Steve Simon is no fool. He wants to hear this from Peng herself. Uh, we should not be giving the Chinese government the benefit of the doubt here. And I think this is one more illustration of the fact that for the better part of a generation, the government of the United States, and quite a few of our European allies and other countries around the world have tried to act like China, it's got the Chinese government isn't that bad, or they don't, they do some things we wouldn't like, but we want to, we really want to trade with them. We really have a whole bunch of money we can make in access to their market. They have a billion people. We're going to avert our eyes and pretend that they're a normal partner. They're not. They're a lot more like North Korea than we like to admit. Not in terms of North Korea being this you know, crazy basket case, but in the sense of not having any checks and balances in which the people at the top can pretty much do whatever they want. In case you're wondering, yes, uh, Zhang Goli is a longtime friend and ally of Chinese President Xi Jinping. So there is, look... Could it be that she simply decided she didn't want to deal with the public anymore? She's not answering her phone and responding to texts or anything like that. I suppose it's possible. 
But I don't think so. I, I think what is very likely is the Chinese government has chosen to silence her, and I hope she's still around. I'm hoping she's okay, but I would not bet that way. And uh, right now, the, added, the Chinese government, of course, is not answering any questions about her disappearance, which you know obviously makes you suspect the worst. And this is one more example of them being a lawless regime in which the people at the top can do anything they want to anybody without consequence. We should not be treating them as if they are partners in peace or partners in prosperity or anything like that. Um, I, I was kind of, I feel almost, somebody said to me, hey, have you been following this story? Uh, and I'd heard a little bit about it, started digging in. You've seen uh, Naomi Osaka and a couple other uh, major world tennis stars starting to call attention to this uh, this horrific situation. Um, and, I, and I feel like I'm, I'm a little embarrassed I didn't write about this sooner, that this really is just kind of a shocking uh, level of shamelessness from the Chinese regime. So hopefully there's a happy ending to the story. I certainly am not counting on it. And I hope people continue to pay attention because this is the sort of thing that should not be swept under the rug or quickly forgotten. Well, we always like to make the distinction between the Chinese people and the Communist Chinese Party. But uh, when it comes to the Communist Chinese Party, um, I think Bob Gates was right once again about Joe Biden being completely wrong because when it comes to the CCP, they're bad folks, folks. Greg, as we are having this conversation, I'm just seeing that from CGTN, which is a Chinese state-run media company, they say that Peng Shui has sent an email to Steve Simon, the World Tennis Association, Women's Tennis Association chairman and CEO. I'm going to read the statement allegedly from Peng Shui, which I am, you, I'm going to try to, you know, I'll let you just draw your own conclusions, listeners, but I think skepticism may be in order. Again, I'm reading this verbatim. Hello, everyone. This is Peng Shui. Regarding the recent news released on the official website of the WTA, the content has not been confirmed or verified by myself, and it was released without my consent. The news in that release, including the allegation of sexual assault, is not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. Thank you again for caring about me. If the WTA publishes any more news about me, please verify it with me and release it with my consent. As a professional tennis player, I thank you all for your companionship and consideration. I hope to promote Chinese tennis with you all if I have the chance in the future. I hope Chinese tennis will become better and better. Once again, thank you for your consideration. End quote. I'm not buying that. Not only am I not buying that, Greg, I think she's dead. I can't prove it, but that just, you know, let's see a camera. Let's see a picture. Let's see her holding up today's newspaper. Let's see proof of life, because this looks exactly like what a regime would do if they wanted to cover up the fact that they had just extrajudicially murdered someone. Um, This is really horrible. And you get to hear our reaction to it live on air. The hell of a world, Greg. Hell of a world. Wow. Wow. The third bad martini just got a whole lot worse uh, based on that. If that were the actual person, that's not how any of that would likely be phrased. Wow. Jim, on that sobering note, hopefully she is still alive and we'll find that out soon, but uh, less optimistic than when we just started that discussion, unfortunately. Um, But I do look forward to being with you tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have a positive update on that and hopefully we'll have at least one good martini tomorrow. So I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. 
Jim Gary, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Uh, get us on the home devices as well. Just say play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a good Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, we know it's hard to tell what's real and fake in the news these days, but don't worry because we're here to talk about it all. The woke media continues to downplay real issues like inflation. The House passed the infrastructure bill that will cost us a trillion dollars, and Biden seems to have little plans to combat surging gas prices. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.